time for our regular Monday evening sports chat. Plenty of sporting activity with Brian Waddle. Evening, Brian. Hey, Todd. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a busy week and it's been a busy day following the cricket test win in Christchurch. So, uh, oh. yeah, there's a fair bit to talk about. Yeah, I was going to say we have to usurp everything else and talk again about the Black Caps winning a cricket test on a last ball, Brian. Yes, and uh, it didn't look as though uh, it was going to be like that when initially the day started. Of course, they had the uh, the rain interruption. And there was only 52 overs possible. And I've got to admit that I thought that wouldn't be enough time to uh, get the title, bearing in mind that they'd struggled last night, the batsmen, Williamson and Latham. But uh, as the day progressed and uh, the conditions got better, I think once you acknowledge that Kane Williamson will always play a major part in any chase and he managed to lead that chase perfectly right down to the last ball when he could have been run out having to dive in an undignified fashion at the stumps at the non-strikers end. But they got there and uh, I suppose it was one of those games that probably shouldn't have gone to that stage. I think it could have been tighter the side that had to win, of course, was Sri Lanka because if they had won and then they had won in Wellington, they would have been in with a chance at a place in the World Test Championship final. The fact that they weren't, I think, uh, was a little bit um, of their own fault because they went far too defensive when they were trying to protect runs when Mitchell and uh, Williamson were batting. But, you know, you've got to give credit to those two. Uh, they are class acts and uh, it's, it's wonderful to have them on the New Zealand side in such good form. People say test cricket is alive and well. I don't think it ever died, Brian. No, I don't think so. Uh, to me, I'm a, I'm a purist. I'm a traditionalist. I'm a test cricket fan. Yes, I watch the other forms of the game, but, you know, they're the, the champagne, the froth, the, and, and the things that, you know, raise the money, I suppose, for the big contracts that many of these players have these days. But, you know, to me, give me test cricket any time because you get finishes like that where everybody was on the edge of their seat. The crowds you could see were uh, chewing on their fingertips and, and, and no one was relaxed or settled. And that's what sport does. And it doesn't matter whether it's cricket. Top-level sport is inclined to do that to you. It does it in, it does it in rugby. It does it in all forms. There. You know, even when we get to uh, a netball scenario, um, you know, those sorts of tight finishes are... Uh, What's good about sport, and, and uh, you know, I just love it. I mean, it was it was it was a great finish, and we came out on the right side. Well, you could argue we don't need Trent Bolt, but do we need him? Well, it'd be nice to have him, uh, and to a certain extent, we probably do need somebody like him. But you know, players come and go; they move on, and uh, he's chosen a course of action. He's still the best bowler in New Zealand. And I'm a believer that you pick your best team. Now, uh, they don't want to do that, the selectors, and he wants to uh, players trade elsewhere in the short form of uh, competition, and uh, good luck to him. But we've got to find somebody who can replace him. The current bowling attack doesn't quite offer what Trent Bolt was able to offer. And I think that until we start looking for uh, new, younger penetrative bowlers, uh, we, we are going to struggle a little bit to bowl sides out, as we proved in the first inning to this Test match. The game in New Zealand is in transition, and uh, we have to start looking for new talent. So I'd like to have the bolt there. 
he would add to it. But, you know, people make their decisions and uh, somebody else will come along in time to take up the mantle that he has carried for so long. Plenty of big sporting action over the weekend, Brian. I mean, talk about rugby, the Fijian Drua as well, beating defending Super Rugby champs, the Crusaders in Lautoki. You can say, yes, it was 100% humidity and about 50 degrees and so on, and the Crusaders only had a B-side. But at the end of the day, you'll read it in history, they beat the Crusaders. 25 to 24, and I must admit I didn't cry a tear being a Hurricanes fan. Um, <laughs> and I listened to all the people bemoaning the fact that so-and-so wasn't there and so-and-so was there. Uh, and then I heard them say that losing to Fiji and Drua was going to cast a shadow over uh, Scott Robertson's chances of being the all-black coach. And I didn't shed a tear until the Hurricanes got beaten by the Blues. So, um, you know, that's what parochialism does for you. But uh, you have to acknowledge that the Crusaders are a strong side and any side that can beat them has got to be playing good football, good rugby. And obviously the Fijian Drua did that. I didn't get a chance to see it. I I waited for the Hurricanes-Blues game and uh, got the tissues there for when they were beaten. Yes, yes, you and me both, really. A lot of talk over the weekend that not too many crowds going to Super Rugby, Super Rugby Pacific Games. I thought the stadium looked very crowded in Wellington. Yes, well, they spread them out. I mean, it's a, it's a stadium that holds, what, 35,000 people. Mm. Uh, and if you if you get to 11 or 12,000, which I assume is the number that they had, that's a good turnout for an event. Uh, they have roughly the same numbers I think sometimes at the Phoenix Games and not always but uh, you know they are passionate supporters as the Auckland faithful are as the Waikato faithful are and, and, and uh, I don't think that they turn up to the extent that they shouldn't yet they're leading the competition at the moment but well, I, I think the uh, the crowds are acceptable Let's face it, uh, people have got a lot of things to do at the moment, haven't they? There's a lot of sporting action. There's a lot on television. The weather conditions are barbecue beach outdoor in some places. Uh, and that's what people choose to do. Uh, you know, it's it's just one of those um, things, I guess, in terms of uh, sporting crowd, provided you can produce quality performance. That's the most important thing, I believe. I watched a bit of the Breakers last night as well. They continue to battle on. They're forcing a decider in Sydney on Wednesday for the ANBL basketball title. How about that? Oh, yeah, wonderful. You know, and that's the sort of thing that I'm talking about. Here you have a home and away series, best of five. It's two all. And uh, the New Zealand side, the Breakers, had their last game at home. A record crowd there, nearly 10,000 people. You know, that's like the old days of the Breakers. So they're getting back to uh, attracting the fans. And I guess a lot of it's to do with the quality of their play and some of the individuals they've got who were uh, dominant. Will McDowell-White, Barry Brown Jr., they're, um, they're very, very talented players. There's a criticism to a certain extent, and I think it probably came out from the Sydney Kings of the physicality of the uh, breaker side. But, uh, you know, that seems to be more common in all sports. I mean, the physicality in basketball sometimes seems to be matched by the physicality in netball. Such is the way the game is played. And uh, they're supposed to be non-contact sport. But hey, 80-70, the decider Wednesday night in Sydney. The New Zealand side breakers have have won there in the past. They won the first game there 
uh, it's uh, a winner-take-all, basically, and, and that's exciting. Uh, I, I hope the Breakers go there and uh, bring the title home. Like the old days, isn't it? Forty years ago, when all the American imports came along, and you had thousands at the show buildings in Wellington, Walton Ash Stadium. Because I went and watched them forty or something years ago. It's just fabulous. Yeah, and even in more recent times, the, the Breakers were a strong side, weren't they? Uh, and used to uh, drag uh, the the fans in. And uh, you know, times change. The, the promotion of the game, the development of the different skills changes we do seem to have a lot more overseas imported players than might have been the case in the past but they add to uh, the competition i don't know what the limit is in terms of uh, the breakers but you know you, you talk about the old days for us wellingtonians of the of the show buildings in wellington and and other events up and down the country i'm sure um, christchurch had its um place where people are. i don't know where they went in christchurch they got a cowell stadium or something for uh, basketball, somebody might be able to uh, enlighten me on that. But, mm. of course, Auckland have had a number of venues, haven't they, uh, in the North Shore. And, you know, it, it, it's just great that people are going along and watching because there's no point in putting on the best two teams in the ANBL in front of nobody. And uh, the television audience was, uh, was quite good. And as I say, 10,000 people there, brilliant. How good is Zoe Hobbs? Zoe Hobbs confirms herself as the fastest New Zealand woman on the track, breaking the 11-second barrier for the 100 metres. Yeah, what a remarkable athlete she is. Uh, She's the first New Zealander to go under 11 seconds, which in itself is quite an achievement. She did it recently in Wellington uh, and uh, was penalised because it was wind-assisted. Fancy Wellington assisting anybody with their win and, and not allowing them to take uh, the, t- the title or the record, 10.89 on that occasion. <laughs> but here she is, 10.97. Um, wonderful performance. She's a, she's a strong athlete. She's a good runner. I heard her on television the other night saying how, you know, she puts it down to the fact uh, that her coach has changed her running style, her, her stride, uh, and she talks about the cadence and the rhythm of her uh, of her running, and, and quite clearly she is making progress. Interesting when you put her time, ten point nine seven, alongside the world record of ten point four nine. Now she won her race in Sydney, uh, and it was quite comfortable. There was a, a real margin between first and second. Well, you know, put ten point four nine, which is the world record set in nineteen eighty eight by Flojo Florence Griffith Joyner who at that stage was 28 years of age. And there have been others in recent times from uh, the uh, Jamaica and Trinidad, Elaine Thompson-Hurrah and uh, Shelley and Fraser-Price. They were big at the Commonwealth Games. As I say, Flojo was 28 when she ran uh, 10.49. Zoe Hobbs, I think, is 25. So she's still got a lot of career in front of her. And uh, I'm just amazed at uh, the progression that she is making in uh, the sport. We look forward to Olympics and further Commonwealth Games because surely she will be a contender at many of those international events. Ryan Fox is matching the stars of the PGA Tour. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, You know, for for the couch potatoes, me, (laughs) who has... Uh, time on a Monday morning to watch the final. It was just gripping stuff. Not so much Ryan Fox, because you don't get a chance to see him, 
but to see that he finished uh, 27th equal mm. and he's had another very good payday. Not that paydays often mean that much because of the amount of money that goes around in the international golf circuit, but he's had two tournaments in the USA and come away with about three quarters of a million dollars. And, uh, you know, it's obviously expensive to travel around the world and take your caddy and all sorts of things. But uh, often it's not so much, as I say, the money, although it's nice. I'd be more than happy to take three quarters of a million dollars for a couple of rounds of golf. But it's also taking on the best players in the world. And that's what this Tournament Players Championship was all about. And uh, the number one player in the world won through in the end, and he won quite handsomely, Scotty Scheffler. I like watching him play. There there are some on the golf circuit you watch who are um, you know, very outgoing and uh, you know, almost over the top. But this is a man who seems to be calm, talks in a modest, professional way, and explains himself well, doesn't over-exaggerate anything. And uh, he was the winner, and as I say, won quite comfortably. But the thing I uh, enjoyed about this, and, and I always have done, is that uh, Island Green, the 17th, you probably know it, uh, Todd, yes. where you um, have to tee off. <laughs> and it's it's one of the water holes, and I, I could imagine how many balls I would put in the water before <laughs> I hit the green, because I've been very good at doing that. It's just an amazing, you know, hole to probably play and to watch as well. I couldn't hit a golf ball if my life depended on it anymore, but it was just stunning to look at and watch. And yes, you're hoping at times the ball goes into the water, and you're also hoping it lands on the green, goes very close to the hole. Yeah, well, that happened uh, today, of course, because the weather conditions deteriorated and the wind gets up and makes it difficult. And a number of um, balls went into the water. But throughout the um, the four rounds, there were also a number of holes in one. And that in itself is a skill. I mean, people say, <laughs> well, you play a par three to hit the ball in just one and get it in, but it's not always done and it's not always easy to do. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I enjoyed, and I, and I don't think I've seen it before in golf, it probably has happened, but uh, they actually had a golfer in his first appearance at the Tournament Players Championship, Ben Griffin, and he was, well, he wasn't mic'd up. He had his uh, Apple AirPods in, and after he played a shot, he was being interviewed by... The presenters. Now, you know, sometimes you can have too much of that. I often find it's a bit unnecessary at some events where you, you speak to people at halftime in a rugby game and they're breathless, can't really explain themselves. But uh, here was a young guy who was prepared to talk to the presenters and talk about the, the shot that he played. And it was a difficult shot. He was in the rough, caught in this straw that is part of the, the rough, and, and he hit it out and he explained what he did to hit it out and uh, how happy he was to have achieved something with it. Mm. you know. And for golfers like I, who have got no skill whatsoever but still like to know how to do things, it was a good explanation. Uh, I just don't know whether Ben Griffin is starting something new, that it's because I've got the competition from the live golf. But uh, it's something, as I say, I hadn't seen before. Others uh, who are listening may have seen it done, but it was just a, a, a departure from what you normally see uh, in, in golf coverage, and, and I think 
on this occasion, it added to the coverage, didn't detract in any way because there was some, you know, pointless questions being asked. Yeah, superb coverage generally. Uh, let's talk about the Phoenix. The yeah. Phoenix take another important step into the playoffs into the A-League. Yeah, doing great job, aren't they? They, um, they had a 1-0 win at home uh, against the Sydney uh, FC, who are a, uh, a generally a very good side, but they um, have slipped a little bit in terms of uh, where they uh, sit in in the in the league, and it was interesting that the Phoenix women also won one nil against uh, the Sydney FC, and that was a surprise result. But it's the table that is most important, and the Phoenix still sit in fifth place. They're four points ahead of the sixth place team. That's the one they beat, Sydney FC, uh, and uh, they're the sides that go into the playoffs for the title now. Uh, it's a sort of um, uh, strange draw set up that uh, sides five and six get eliminated early on if they play or they play a higher team. They don't seem to get a high place on the um, the tier of uh, events. But, um, you know, the Phoenix are keeping there. They have this goal scorer who's also got uh, double figures now, Zavada, who mm. seems to be scoring on a regular basis. They'll have a tough one this coming week. They play on Friday night against uh, the Adelaide United side, and they're placed second on the A-League. So, you know, it's important that they keep winning or performing well because they've got to stay in that top six to get in the playoffs. And I think on their performance this year, they deserve that because uh, they have been able to deliver the goods. I know we've talked a little bit about rugby, super rugby, Pacific and so on, but Six Nations as well. England suffering a heavy defeat that ends any hopes of a Six Nations title for them. It's basically Ireland all the way, isn't it? Yeah, I think so now. It's uh, Ireland um, are playing England the last game and they lead by four points. The French winning the game gave them an outside chance of uh, doing it by getting four points. Uh, if they can uh, beat the side that they're up against, I think they're playing Wales in the um, I can't remember in the final round while Ireland play England. But uh, I mean, it was humiliating. Fifty-three ten. They've never conceded so many points in a Six Nation match in the past. Seven tries, and you know some of the uh, commentators basically uh, called some of their play clueless, which would be hurting for England because uh, many people have seen them in the past as the strength of Six Nations rugby. Mm. Well, that's now Ireland's mantle, I suppose, because, uh, as I say, they had a win. They beat Scotland, who previously had beaten uh, England, and uh, they beat them 22-7. to 7. So it's, uh, it's a bit of a forerunner for the World Cup later in the year. Ireland ranked at the top. France, hosts of the World Cup, and the All Blacks will be watching their performances, I'm sure, very closely because they have, um, you know, a lot to play for. And it'll be interesting to see just how well the Irish play in the final round to ensure that they, uh, they take the title. It's, it's something that's well sought after overseas. Let's talk supercars now. Brian, Shane Van Gisbergen, well, he earned the ire of officials and drivers, but he did his talking on the track, you could say. Well, yes, he did in the in the second race. In the first race, he uh, was disqualified 
Mm. And uh, it's sort of technical stuff. Um, he was um, <laughs> disqualified for, I think they say, illegally using dry ice as a cooling device. Now, you know, when it comes to cars, uh, I know what does the cooling in mine. It goes through the radiator, um, as far as I know. Uh, I don't know whether you're uh, mechanically minded in those sorts of things. But anyway, he was, uh, no, he my, was disqualified. My Toyota starts and it stops. That's about all I know. Yeah, well, when it when it stops starting, that's when you've got to worry, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but race two, he um, he he managed to um, take the win and come back from that disqualification. He was involved in a little bit of a contact with one of the other drivers, Chaz Mostart, and uh, at the end of it all, um, he was a little bit testy. He didn't respond well to media interviews, and and Shane Ben Gisbergen is a is a is a very outgoing sort of person, but he also has a bit of a reputation of being um, a difficult person as well in these kinds of circumstances. And, and some of the drivers and and the leaders of the supercar organisation were a little bit critical of him. I'm sure it won't worry Shane Van Gisbergen because he is the champion from last year. He's leading the competition again. He's the much sought-after driver when it comes to these competitions. Uh, and uh, he'll go out and do the hard yards, so to speak, as uh, he has done always in the past. Let's finish up on the netball. The Mystics and the Pulse battling for dominance in the ANZ Netball Championship. Yeah, they're both unbeaten and uh, two sides that have uh, earned their uh, position at the top of the table. Uh, as I say, unbeaten. In the uh, second round of the competition, the Pulse had a good win over the Southern Steel, who were heavily beaten in the first round. And uh, the Mystics beat the mainland tactics by 54 to 45. The last game of the round has just been completed, and uh, the Southern or the Northern Stars have beaten the Southern Steel 74 to 40. So that looking at uh, the table now, the um, the the Northern Mystics and uh, the Stars have uh, joined the Pulse. In fact, of course, by that uh, game, they've um, all played two games and uh, won two. So uh, they're starting to settle themselves down in terms of the positions on the table. Uh, it's very early stages uh, at uh, this competition, mm-hmm. but uh, it has another sport where the following is uh, intense and uh, very excited and excitable at times many of the, uh, the the crowds that they get to the events i i sort of uh, don't tend to understand the rules of the competition i i have this problem that uh, you know where it's supposedly non-contact there is contact but only some people get penalized and some don't and i I get confused by all that, and I, I, I need somebody to give me a good explanation as to how it is adjudicated by the officials so that I don't start throwing things at the television and, uh, and break it while the game's on. Brian, there's a million other things to talk about. We could be here for another four or five hours, but you know, some of us have to get to bed at some point. Always great to catch up and hear your thoughts on a Monday about sport and what's happened over the weekend. And we'll catch you again next Monday. Pleasure, Todd. A pleasure. Brian Waddle with his thoughts, as he knows.